It's Monday, October 30th, 2017. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study, and we are continuing our study on the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke, and are specifically looking today at Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 38, and we are joined by David Wooten, who will walk us through this passage. Thank you, Herbie, and thank you for leading us as a staff through the study of the gospel of Luke. We are just getting started in Luke's gospel We are still in chapter 1, and so if you're listening to this podcast today and you would like to follow along, take your Bibles and turn them on or uh, open them up, swipe, click, flip to Luke chapter 1 if you are driving or otherwise not able to open a Bible right now, then uh, just listen and uh, we'll walk our way through this next passage of Luke's gospel beginning in chapter 1 and verse 5. Uh, In our last study, Herbie mentioned that Dr. Luke, who uh, wrote this gospel, was indeed a physician. He was also a missionary who was a companion of the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. He was a historian who is writing this gospel in particular to a Gentile audience. And I would also point out that Luke seems to be a musician or one who loves music. In the first two chapters of Luke, there are four songs that he Uh, records for us here in these pages, uh, one by Mary, one by Zechariah, one by the angels, and one by Simeon in chapter 2. It's interesting to me that uh, this gospel opens up by Dr. Luke, the physician, by introducing a couple that's dealing with the hard providence of infertility. Zechariah and Elizabeth were well along in years, the Bible says, and yet they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive. And so they have dealt for years with this difficult uh, problem of infertility, wanting a child but not being able to have a child. You may be listening today to this podcast, and you may be going through that same hard providence. And I would encourage you to take comfort that Uh, God, the Holy Spirit, as he inspired Luke to write these pages, wanted to be especially sensitive to this couple that was dealing with infertility and is writing them in a significant way into his story. And it wasn't that God had forgotten them or forsaken them or was punishing them, but God desired to glorify himself through their lives. So I would encourage you to take heart today uh, in that regard. And so, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest. Elizabeth was the daughter of a priest, so they grew up in and around the priesthood uh, there in Jerusalem. And uh, Elijah or Zechariah was part of Abijah's division, so the priesthood was divided into 24 divisions. This had been done by David way back in the Old Testament. All the priests uh, were divided. The priesthood was divided into 24 divisions. The eighth of those divisions was the division of Abijah, and Zechariah was a priest in that division. And so they would assign the different divisions a season to work in the temple there in Jerusalem. But there were so many priests that it was often the case that a priest could go his entire career and never be chosen to enter into the temple to serve in the holy place 
where the table of showbread and the lampstand and the incense was, you could spend your entire career as a priest in those days and never be chosen. Uh, it was chosen by a lot, uh, by a lottery, I guess, uh, as to who would go into the temple and serve as the priest for uh, that particular time. Well, the lot fell to Zechariah, and this was a uh, a career-shaping moment for him. This was out of uh, what Bible scholars tell us were probably 18,000 priests in that day. This was a once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-career opportunity that fell to Zechariah to be able to go into the holy place to burn the incense and to um, serve the Lord there in the holy place. And so at the appropriate hour, verse 10 says, the whole assembly of the people was gathered together outside the temple and they were praying and Zechariah goes into the holy place and as he is doing his priestly duties there to uh, 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 trim the lampstand and to prepare the showbread and to burn the incense, an angel came, Gabriel the angel came and appeared to him and uh, it's interesting how many times angels are mentioned in Luke. The Greek word for angel is the word angelos, which means messenger. And it's interesting to note that whenever angels are mentioned in the Bible, they're mentioned as being male. Not that they are a race that procreates, but they're just always presented as male in the scriptures. Gabriel here appears to Zechariah and later in this chapter will appear to Mary uh, another angel appears to the shepherds on the hillside, and there was also, with that angel, uh, a heavenly host of other angels that were singing praise to God in front of those shepherds on that Judean hillside. There were two angels that came to the women at the empty tomb in Luke chapter 24. When they came to discover Jesus had risen from the dead, there were two angels there to announce that he was not there. He had, he had uh, been risen. The human response, whenever we read about angels, especially in Luke, the human response is always fear, and here is no exception. The Bible says that when the angel appeared to Zechariah, uh, he was startled and overcome with fear. There are a lot of other mentions of angels in Luke's gospel. At least seven other times uh, angels are mentioned in Luke's gospel. And so this angel appears and says, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. What prayer do you think God had heard from Zechariah? Well, it could have very well been the prayers that he and his wife Elizabeth had prayed for a child as they faced infertility. Or it could have been the prayer for the deliverer, the Messiah, the rescuer, that he would come. Uh, it's interesting to note that Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. And Elizabeth's name means, my God is an oath. In other, word, in other words, God hears our prayers, and God is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. We can be encouraged by that today. He said, your prayer has been heard, and the angel says, your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will name him John. There'll be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. Never drink wine or beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel. Now watch this. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Now, it was not lost on Zechariah when the angel said this, that this was a quotation from the Old Testament book of Malachi. You'll remember that Malachi was the last book of the Old Testament. 
the last time that God had spoken until the New Testament. And in between those two testaments were 400 years of silence. God didn't speak. No angelic messenger came. No prophet came and said to his people, Thus saith the Lord, it was 400 years of silence. And now God was breaking that silence with this angelic message. And the angel uh, links the past uh, and the last promise of the Old Testament in Malachi to this first promise of the New Testament that God is going to send a deliverer and he will send one to prepare the way for the Lord uh, who will be Zechariah's son, John the Baptist. Zechariah doubted because he was old, his wife was old. He doubted that this could uh, come about. And so because of that, because he doubted, he was struck speechless for the entire duration of the pregnancy. So that's what happened inside the temple that day when Zechariah went to serve, this angelic appearance. But remember I said that the people had gathered outside. We pick up with them in verse 21. The people were waiting, and the Bible says that they were amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. Can't you imagine what they were thinking? What's taking him so long? Is he okay? He's an older man. Do you think he had a heart attack? Is he dead? What should we do? And then when he came out, they were so relieved, they ran up to him to make sure he was okay and that everything had gone well, and he could not speak to them. He was struck dumb, and so um, in his speechless state, he's trying to sign and signal and indicate what happened uh, and uh, the angelic appearance that he had just experienced. Well, he went home, and uh, sure enough, he and Elizabeth conceived a, a, a child, and during that length of that pregnancy, Zechariah was unable to speak. And then the angel Gabriel appears in Luke chapter 1 to the Virgin Mary, beginning in verse 26. And he comes to Mary and says, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Of course, Mary, the Bible says, was deeply troubled by this and wondered what that could mean. And then the angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Well, Mary knew that she was a virgin, that she had not had relations with any man, and she said, How can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? And the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is a biblical teaching on the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. At Lifeline Children's Services, we have a statement of faith, a statement of belief. It's on our webpage. You can look it up and see what uh, Lifeline's statement of belief is. And included in that statement of belief is uh, the embracing of the truth, of the reality of the doctrine of the virgin birth. We live in a day when the idea of a virgin birth is considered to be very ignorant and unscientific, and it's easy to be intimidated by those that would think that uh, Christianity is not an intellectual, uh, not an intellectual faith because in, uh, Christianity embraces ideas like the virgin birth, and yet the virgin birth is an essential doctrine to the Christian faith. Don't be intimidated. Don't dismiss the idea because you think it's unscientific that uh, the virgin birth could not have happened and that the virgin birth is not important. The virgin birth is vitally important. Let me share with you why the virgin birth is so important. 
First of all, to deny the virgin birth is to deny the veracity and truthfulness of the scriptures because the Bible's very clear here in Luke 1, also in Matthew 1 and Isaiah 7, that Jesus was born of a virgin, not just of a young maiden, but of a virgin. He was born of a virgin. And so to deny the virgin birth is to deny the truthfulness of the scripture because in plain perspicuity, the scripture says that Jesus was born of a virgin. Secondly, to deny the virgin birth is to deny the other miracles of the Bible. If you call this miracle into question, then who's to, who's to say that the other miracles of the Bible didn't happen, including the miracle not only of the feeding of the 5,000 and the healing of the blind man, but maybe most significantly, the, the, the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If the virgin birth miracle didn't happen, then how do we have any trust and confidence that any of the other miracles of the Bible happened? To deny the virgin birth is to deny the miracles of the Bible. To deny the virgin birth is also to deny the deity of Christ. You see, Jesus had to be born of a virgin in order to be the Son of God. Had he had an earthly father, he would have been born with a sin nature, just like the rest of uh, humans are born. The rest of us are all born with a sin nature. The sin nature is passed through the seed of man. Jesus did not have an earthly father because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. It was so important for Jesus to be both God and man if he was going to be a fitting substitute for our sin. He had to be a man. He had to be born of Mary. He had to come in human form because he had to be a substitute. He had to be a substitute. He had to become one of us. But he also had to be God so that his death on the cross would be of sufficient and infinite value for all who would believe. And so not only did Jesus have to be man, he had to be God. And the only way he could be God is to be born of a virgin. So to deny the virgin birth is to deny the deity of Christ. And maybe most tragically of all, to deny the virgin birth is to deny any hope of salvation. Because if Jesus is not the Son of God, then his death on the cross did not have infinite value and is not able to save, which means you and I, therefore, are still lost in our sins, hopeless, doomed, and damned apart from the rescuer. And so if we deny the virgin birth, we're denying that Jesus was the Son of God. If we deny he's... Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.